Okay, thank you guys for coming back to listen to another episode. I am so excited for this episode. I am here with my special guest, Jamillion. Hi, how's it going? It's going good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this. I'm so excited to talk with you. We are talking about PCOS today and all of the issues and feelings that come with that condition. I We were talking before we started recording, and I mentioned I got uh, engaged a couple months ago. About a week or two after that, I got diagnosed with PCOS, and I've been kind of figuring out all the feelings with it. I've had more ultrasounds than I thought I would ever have <laughs> without being pregnant. Um, and I just scheduled another one. And this disease is, uh, I don't know, creating more feelings in me than I expected. So when I saw your your profile and found you online, I really wanted to talk with you. You've spoken openly about PCOS, about your fertility journey. And so that's what we're going to get into today. But first, can you describe yourself a little bit? What do you do for work? What do you do for fun? Um, what I do for work, I just actually transitioned into a new role um, in clinical research. Um, so I'm still learning what I do actually, um, because what's my job description I learned is not actually what I do day to day. Um, <laughs> but I came from emergency management, um, which um, I don't know if everyone is familiar with that, but like when there's like tornadoes and hurricanes and any other natural disaster, like COVID, um, each state has their own emergency management department. Um, and so I was um, in charge of doing like all of the like financial side of that. Um, if you are a like school, church, hospital, uh, you have funds that can be reimbursed to you if you have any damages and stuff like that. Um, so that's where I came from. Um, Love what I do now. It's more on the pharmaceutical side, which is interesting. Um, and so every day I'm learning something new. So um, what I do for fun, I sound boring. But I just read books. <laughs> um, oh my God, me too. <laughs> I love to read. Um, what's your favorite genre? Oh, I don't have a favorite genre. Anything by a Black person, I will read it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I have a whole nother like, Instagram page for all my, my reading, um, my reading journey. Um, outside of that, um, I like to travel and spend time with my my family. Um, that's about it. That's awesome. Okay, so regarding PCOS, when did you get diagnosed and how did you get diagnosed? I got diagnosed in 20, 26, late 2016, early 2017. Um, I went to my annual OBGYN. Um, actually, I changed because I got a new job and the insurance I had was only specific to um, the hospital. And so um, I went for my appointment and they were asking me all the questions, you know, when was your last period? Are you sexually active? And I was like, well, yes, I'm sexually active. Um, I haven't had a period um, for, at that point, it was like maybe a year that I, my cycle hadn't come on. Um, wow. And they were like, well, are you pregnant? I was like, no. Um, and so they did a lot, of, a lot of blood work and my results came back. Like, um, my testosterone level was higher than my estrogen level. And so they said that that was like, you know, PCOS and that was it. She gave me a pamphlet. 
um, told me to eat right, lose weight and everything will be fine. Um, and then she put me on birth control pills and I think I went through maybe three or four types of birth control pills and nothing was really working. Um, in December of 2017, she told me to stop it because I was spotting for the whole month of December and she was like, well, just stop it. And then, you know, um, we'll figure out something else. Um, January, I had to go to Jamaica for a funeral and I came back and my cycle just randomly came on. Um, prior to that, um, my period had only come on by itself when I was like in eighth grade. Outside of that, they put me on birth control pills like my freshman year of high school. Um, and that was the way I got my cycle. Um, outside of that, it just never came on. Um, and they were like, oh, you'll grow out of it. You know, um, maybe it's hereditary. And so I hit like 25 and my cycle is still not coming on without birth control pills. And um, I was just told that, you know, it'll fix itself, you know, take, you know, the birth control pills and you'll be fine. Um, I never went back on birth control pills after she took me off in 2017. I was like, I need to find a natural way. The pills are making me not feel great. Um, my weight was fluctuating. Um, there was a spotting. And so it wasn't until 20, 2021 actually, that I went to another OBGYN to get like a second opinion. Um, and she um, was like, we need to give you an ultrasound because something's not kind of, you know, right or whatever. And during that ultrasound, they found that I had like a very large uh, polyp, so to, so to speak. And the way that the polyp was sitting in my uterus, if I had tried to get pregnant or if I was pregnant, I would have miscarried because the polyp was so big, it was like covering like pretty much my entire uterus. Um, and so I had to get that removed. Um, and after that, I went to an endocrinologist and who specialized specifically in PCOS. And um, PCOS is tricky because it's not one size fits all. Um, I don't have any other symptoms outside of the fact that, you know, like the fluctuating in the weight gain and then, you know, the missing of the period. And so she checked my levels again and everything was normal. You know, I didn't have... Um, insulin resistance or anything like that. It was just my testosterone level was a little higher than my estrogen and I just didn't have a period. So she put me on metformin, not a fan of metformin. Um, I don't think it really does anything but cause me to go to the bathroom. It's, have you ever taken it? I haven't. Metformin is normally for diabetes, right? But they will yes. prescribe it to people mm -hmm. who have PCOS too. Yes. So the whole, they say that for metformin, it's supposed to kind of regulate your insulin because the way that our bodies like consume like sugar and like, you know, breads and stuff like that, you know, um, so it's to kind of prevent diabetes for, um, for developing. But also in all of this and talking to my doctor about, you know, wanting to have kids, she was saying that metformin can also help with ovulation. I don't know if that's like fact, like I, I have no idea. Um, and so took it, you know, um, then I just wasn't feeling great. And I was like, yeah, I'm not taking it anymore. Um, so currently I'm just on seven days of progesterone every other month, which, um, is okay. I'm more emotional 
um, on those months than I would like to be. Um, like boohoo crying, um, super agitated. Um, but plus side, I do get a cycle. Um, it's supposed to not get the reoccurrence of the polyps again. Um, because with women with PCOS, because they don't have, well, some women who don't have a regular cycle, their lining isn't shed. So, which I never knew this in the beginning. Um, but if your lining is never shed and it continues to thicken, then you're more prone for uterine cancer. And so that was one of the biggest like, okay, I need to make sure that I'm up on my appointments with my doctor, making sure that if I need to get an ultrasound, if something's not right, go to my doctor. Um, because the only reason why I went to the doctor was because I started spotting, which was abnormal for me because I wasn't on any birth control. And that's how they found the polyp. Wow. That is a lot. <laughs> okay. I want to go back to um, something you said that I just really resonated with. I got my period late, I think. I was 14, which so I got it after most of my friends. And then a year later, my mom and my doctor recommended that I start taking birth control because my period was so heavy. It would be like two weeks long and it was so painful. And so they put me on birth control, never thought about it again. And I had been on it consistently until I was like 20. And I stopped getting my period uh, when I stopped taking the pill. And I didn't think much of it because I quickly started another kind of birth control. But there have been a few times in my life where I switched the kind of birth control I was on. And so when I was off of it, I wasn't getting my period. But it was only for maybe two months. And so I didn't think a lot about it until... This year, I was on the patch earlier this year and I stopped using it because I just didn't like it anymore. And I immediately stopped getting my period. And I was like, oh no, what's going on? So I go to the doctor, tell her everything. And like, I can't lose weight. I don't get a period. I feel like something is wrong. And she, you know, immediately was like, okay, well, let's do the ultrasound. Let's do the blood test. And she was like, she called me super early in the morning and was like, yeah, you have PCOS. Um, come back for another ultrasound in eight weeks. See ya, bye. And it, it was all very overwhelming. I'm on a progestin-only uh, birth control, so I take it every day, and I have to take it at the exact same time every day. But um, the last period I got was kind of a period. It was super light, like barely there. But um, yeah, it, it's a lot to go through the process of figuring out what works for your body, especially you've been going through this for like four years. That's a long time to be up and down. What was the surgery process like of getting the polyp removed? So it was very simple. It was nerve wracking, but on a uh, technical level, it was very simple. So um, because my lining was thickened, they had to basically remove the lining um, and then remove the polyp. Um, I think the surgery lasted 45 minutes. Um, they didn't put me in the, um, under any like heavy anesthesia. It was just like, they put me to sleep and then I woke up and I wasn't groggy. I woke up and I was eating graham crackers and apple juice and I was ready to go. Um, and then the aftercare, it was just maybe a week and there was like some light spotting and, um, couldn't push a pull or anything like that. But it was 
the most simple surgery ever. It's super quick, um, outpatient. Um, the only thing, and then it's just waiting for the um, pathology to come back because they don't know if it's cancerous or not. Um, a lot of the times when I was doing my like research um, before I had the surgery, a lot of times, and even the doctor said that those types of polyps are typically benign, but again, it's something foreign in your body that could progress to cancer if it was, it was never found. Um, and so that basically essentially was my period for the month of, when did I have the surgery? February. And then um, in April, I had to start the progesterone. So I had to take it every month. Um, and the doctors seemed to think that the progesterone would like kind of help with the cycle and um, the polyps not reoccurring. And in some cases, the polyp being removed will kind of like trigger a woman's cycle to come on. In my case, it's not been the case. It's just not there at all. Um, like my body, um, the way that the doctor kind of described it is like women who like ovulate and have a regular period, they have like that um, that spike that causes them to um, have their cycle and then the down to actually like ovulate and all that stuff. Mine is at like a straight steady level. Like there's no spike, there's no, there's no nothing, it's just straight. So my body doesn't know that I should be having a cycle, which is frustrating because everything works. It's just like, the best way to describe it is I have a working car, it just won't turn to start. And it's frustrating because I've done everything that I can possibly do and nothing's really working. So mm -hmm. it's just a up and down, up and down battle. And I don't think people who don't have PCOS or really don't understand what it is, I don't think they, I don't think anyone can truly understand it if they're in it. Um, like my mom says all the time, oh, you can get rid of it. I'm like, you, you really can't. I mean, I was even like, I was gluten-free, you know, I was working out and doing all these things and it's supposed to kind of like reverse your symptoms and my symptoms were still there, you know? So it's like no going away, you know? So it's frustrating to say the least. Oh my God, it's so crazy to hear you say that. I'm gluten-free right now trying to, well, I have a wedding. And so I'm trying to lose weight for the wedding. And I mean, yeah, be healthier, reduce symptoms, yeah. but also like the weight gain, how quick it was and how much it was, it can really fuck with your head. Yeah. Um, and it that has been one of the hardest <laughs> parts for me to deal with. I have other like body image problems. And so it, that's been difficult for me. Um, it's good to hear you say the surgery is not that bad. I so when I first got my first ultrasound, they said come back. There's a, two cysts that look a little suspicious. We want to look at them again, and I went back for another one, and they said that it's now one cyst, and it looks like an endometrioma, which is basically a blood-filled cyst. And they said come back again in eight weeks. So I'll be back in the beginning of September. Um, and if it's still there and it's the same size or bigger, God forbid, then they would recommend it to get it removed. And, you know, surgery is always scary, but it's good to hear that it wasn't terrible. I know it's not exactly the same surgery, yeah. um, but hopefully should I have to get that, it won't be terrible. Yeah, I think the so. worst 
for me was it felt like I don't have a cycle often. So when I whenever I do have a cycle and I have cramps, it's it's like foreign to me because I don't I don't regularly cycle, so I don't feel these feelings. Um, so after surgery, there was like slight cramping, but I mean I took some, you know tylenol or whatever my wife gave me and like a heating pad and then I, I was fine um so yeah it's not i mean i don't like to have surgery and if it's to get it removed and not kind of you know stay there and cause another issue you know i i would do it over again um mm -hmm. the aftercare was very very simple i mean I think the worst part was I couldn't have sex, you know, until the doctor was <laughs> like, you know, not the end of yeah. the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So how did you feel when you first got your diagnosis and how did your wife respond? Um, so when I first got the diagnosis, I was a little frustrated because, you know, I went in thinking that I was going to find, you know, some answers as to why my body wasn't, you know, reacting a certain way and I was given a pamphlet and told to lose weight and take birth control and not knowing if these things were going to work um if this was just a special case and not having that kind of dialogue was like the worst part because I'm like I'm not a doctor I don't know what to do um so I think after my appointment I think I went to my car and um I said some very unkind things and I called my wife and it was like, this is what the doctor said. And at that appointment, the doctor basically told me that I couldn't have kids. She was like, you know, um, you don't ovulate. So having kids is going to be very complicated and you may not even have a baby. And I'm just like, at that point, we had introduced the conversation of kids um, in our future. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, dear God, like we're not married yet, you know, we're working towards this and we've discussed interest in having kids together. If I can't have kids, like, you know, what does this mean? And in my head, I went like the darkest place. She's gonna leave me, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna be enough to be able to, you know, give her what she wants. And it was this whole spiral of things all in the car after that conversation. And I think I went to like cookout, got a milkshake and was like, you know what? Jay, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. We'll figure it out. Um, and I talked to my mom about it and, you know, she's all churchy. So she was like, you know, the Lord will, you know, do his thing and you'll be okay. And um, I think I sat with it for about a couple of weeks before I was like, I need to find a second opinion. Um, and I think the the worst part is from being a patient standpoint is knowing something's wrong and going to your doctor and saying, hey, something is wrong, something's not right, you know, um, I'm coming to you for help and then just kind of being swatted away as if like your feelings really don't matter. Um, and that can really mess you up and mess up the confidence you have in the healthcare system. Um, because at the time I was going through like a, a hip injury and no one was listening. And then on top of that, the doctor was just like, yeah, lose weight. And then it'll, it'll rectify itself. Well, I lost weight, didn't rectify itself. And then I gained weight and then I lost weight. So, you know, it was just this like cycle. And at times there are moments where 
I'm kind of like, you know, it's okay. You're outside of this, you're healthy, you're fine, you'll be okay. And there's other days where it can really kind of put me in a very dark place. Also, I did not know this either until I was talking to my current OBGYN that because of the kind of lack of hormones thereof, um, there's a lot of things that kind of make sense now. My mood swings, symptom of PCOS, you know, I have night sweats. I thought it was just because my wife is Jamaican and she likes to keep the hot, uh, the house hot. No, it's actually <laughs> PCOS. And all these things that I thought that were, am I going crazy? Something like what's going on? No, it's a part of PCOS. And now that it's linked, doesn't make me feel better. I have an answer, but I don't have a solution. Right. Yeah. That's the part that has been messing with me too. There's no cure. It doesn't go away. It, I mean, you can allegedly, you can, you know, relieve your symptoms so much that it feels like you don't have it, but I, that doesn't work for everyone. I mean, there's not like a hard and fast way to make it work for everybody. And that is really frustrating. I've been thinking a lot about infertility as well. And just the possibility of not being able to get pregnant or technically being able to get pregnant, but maybe having a bunch of miscarriages, which I really don't think I'm cut out for. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a lot. I feel like, you know, we're kind of in the right now in the period where women are like, you know, we're good for having more than just kids and just being able to take care of the kids. But, you know, you're still supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. That's the idea is like, I can be a mom and be a superwoman and maybe I can't be a mom easily anyway. And it does for me feel like, I don't know, like something's broken or something's wrong with me. I mean, the most, this sounds mean, but like the most uninteresting, like boring, plain women can have kids. And I don't even know if I can do that. And it, affects me more than I thought. I've never necessarily been the woman who like dreamed of having kids. I felt like I was born to have kids. I think they're much, there are other things that I'll be able to do that will be interesting. But um, the idea of not being able to do such a basic thing that we're told our bodies are made for is a lot to think about. Um, you've spoken about your fertility journey a lot on your platform. What has that been like and how has the possibility of infertility impacted you? Um, I will say before this year, I kind of was at a very calm place, you know, if it's meant to be or happen. But it wasn't until January where they found the polyps where I was like, oh crap, like, what does this mean? Like, what if they go in there and find something else? You know, um, what if it is cancer? Um, what if they have to take my lady bits? Like, you know, all these things went through my head. And um, we had talked to the uh, fertility doctor in, I wanna say 2018 and um, told him about the diagnosis and he, um, specifically works with women who have PCOS. And uh, so he wanted to move forward with like blood work to see where my, um, like my hormone level was, where my egg reserve was. Luckily, 
because I don't ovulate like a regular woman, um, I have a huge supply of eggs. You know, my reserve is higher than it should be for a woman my age. Um, so he has a lot of eggs that he could, you know, fertilize. Um, and he seemed pretty positive about it. Um, and learning more from the fertility doctor and kind of having that knowledge from my OBGYN kind of bridged the gap between making me feel a little more confident in the possibility of having children, um, but knowing that it, it won't be easy um, because my parts don't work the way they're supposed to. So I'm gonna need additional like medicine to kind of jumpstart them and all of that stuff. So, um, this year it's been an up and down roller coaster. Um, first part of 2021, I was like, yeah, you know, um, I'm not enough. I can't give my wife what she wants, what she wants. I can't, you know, um, have a baby or, um, and it really, and at the time, and then we found out my sister was pregnant and watching her go through the process kind of made it a little tougher because I'm seeing this life grow inside of her and I want that for myself. Um, it wasn't jealousy, it was more so, uh, it, was a, it was a void. Um, if I cannot have children then, and it's not the only thing that, that makes or breaks you know, who I am and what I can offer to our marriage, but I've known for a long time that I wanted children and thinking about not being able to have a child, it just, Fucked me up in the worst way. I mean, I went to a very dark place and very depressed for a hot second. Um, and the fertility doctor had to pull me out and, and basically say, hey, it's not the end all be all. You have options. Um, and going into it, my original OBGYN was like, there's IVF and there's IUI. And basically IVF is not foolproof. It does not guarantee that you have children. IUI, because you do not ovulate like a, a a regular woman, this is as natural as it can possibly get. So therefore, no, I don't recommend it. Um, Shelly doctor gave me a third option, which I don't think a lot of people know. Um, and basically it's one of the kind of new ways that women who have PCOS, um, it increases their chances of kids and you don't have to use as twice um, as much medicine as you would with IVF. Um, and so basically it's called InvoCell and you incubate the babies, I mean, well not babies yet, but you incubate the sperm and the egg before um, it gets implanted. And so before the implant, um, they implant the egg, you already know whether or not the egg has like a very viable chance of becoming an embryo. Um, and so that's the way that whenever I do decide to go through it is what I will do. Um, but there's also the chance of, even though I have a high reserve, that doesn't mean that I'm fertile, which I did not know that either. I thought if you had like a wealthy amount of eggs, that means you're fertile myrtle. Not the case. He said, you can have these high reserve eggs and you could truly be infertile. I don't know what that looks like for me. Um, we haven't tested my eggs or anything like that yet. Um, so it's to be determined. Um, and I think 
not knowing is another thing that causes all types of stress and kind of like self-doubt and like re-examining myself and my worth and what I can bring to the table. Again, women are not only, you know, here to pro provide, you know, the children, you know, um, but when you're in a same-sex relationship, we don't have the luxury of being able to just, you know, make babies. We have to go through this whole process. And if I can't go through that process, it makes me feel like not the one thing that I can bring to the table, but the one thing that we've both agreed that we want to do, I can't hold up my end of the bargain. And that may sound bad um, because I don't want people to think that, oh, she just wants to have kids. And, you know, that makes her think that, you know, um, that proves her worth in her marriage. But it's like when you're on a diet and you can't have something, it makes it twice as harder to not want it. You, you know what I'm saying? Like if I was on a diet, I wouldn't be thinking about Oreos. But you, once you tell me I can't have Oreos, Oreos is all I want. So being told that you may not be able to have kids makes me want it twice as much. And if I can't have that, then, and it's not on my, it's like, I'm not saying that I can't have the kids. It's like, no, like I'm being told that I can't have the kids. And I don't do well with people telling me what I can, I cannot do. Um, and that's the stubbornness in me. Um, but also I've dreamed for so long of having a little mini me out in the world. And if I can't see that come to pass, then it'll make me really sad. Um, I think eventually I'll get over it. Um, again, being in the same sex couple relationship, my wife can also have kids. So if I can't, she can. And those will still be my kids. I just won't go through the process. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I so relate to what you said about the idea of thinking about you can't have it makes you want it even more. Because, I mean, yeah, I do want to be a mom. And I've always just thought I'll be a mom one day. Um, but I, I, I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom. Or I, I don't think I'll ever be the woman who, like, builds her identity around being a mom. Um, if I become one, but just the idea of not being able to really hurts my feelings. Like, yeah. and I don't think it's wrong to feel like some, like you're not holding up your end of the deal. I know exactly what you mean. I really want to have a daughter one day. And I, I just feel like I've been mothered by a lot of different women in my life. I've had so many positive female influences in my life and I almost feel like it's my duty to be able to pass that on yeah. to my own child and the idea that I might that that might be harder than I thought sucks and I does feel like I'm cheating my fiance of something or like I'm making his life harder because I mean there's nothing wrong with him it, it's really going to be my thing my body that's holding it up and it is frustrating and I think those feelings of frustration or for me kind of maybe inadequacy in the reproductive department I guess uh are valid and I appreciate you sharing that that is exactly how I've felt <laughs> these past couple months and you said it so beautifully um okay what has your experience been like with medical professionals since getting this diagnosis? 
Um, I would say it's it sucked. And up until 2021, I had no faith in the healthcare system. Um, I really honestly thought that maybe I would have to go to like another country and get some type of like, you know, juice or something. I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> but um, when I was at my last OBGYN, it was every appointment I walked out and I've just felt worse as I did when I, I walked into the door. Um, she was like, why don't you, uh, why don't you do like Weight Watchers or why don't you, and it was all centered around weight. And I, I need to preface it by PCOS is not a weight thing. Like it's not, you don't get PCOS because you're overweight. You know, you can become overweight because you have PCOS because it becomes harder to lose the weight. Um, and so she always made me feel like it was my fault. And so um, it wasn't until this year um, we moved to, you know, um, a new town and I didn't want to drive all the way to Durham to go to the OBGYN. And so um, my mom told us about this um, OBGYN down the street from us who my sister was getting her care for um, her pregnancy. And she said that great. And um, we went and had a consultation and it abs I absolutely fell in love with them. Um, they're very frank and, you know, straight to the point. Um, when they did my um, exam and my ultrasound, they talked me through it. Um, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Um, this could be the outcome. Um, and when they called me with the pileup, you know, it was a sense of urgency because they did not know how long the pileup was there. They don't know how long my lining had been thickened. And in these cases, it can lead to cancer. So when they called me and I didn't pick up the phone because I was out walking my dog and I called back and they were like, yeah, um, so we found a pileup. You need to come in by the end of the week and um, see the doctor. She's going to explain to you, you have to have surgery, basically. There's no way around it. And I'm like, okay. Um, went to the appointment with the doctor and she asked me how I was feeling. Um, and at the they took my blood pressure and like I was so stressed out and so anxious, like my blood pressure was so high. Um, and she was like, you know, it's gonna be okay. This is the procedure. She gave me like a pamphlet as she like walked through like this like diaphragm of like how she was gonna go in and remove the polyp and the um lining and everything. Um, and so they even worked with my endocrinologist and um about like medicines that they um would recommend me taking. Um, she did say that she wanted me to stay on the metformin, um, especially if you're gonna try and um, do the fertility because studies have shown that metformin does help in the area of fertility for some reason, I have no idea. Um, and so it's been great now, but have having this diagnosis since 2017, I felt alone. Um, and felt as though my feelings and, and thoughts were kind of unheard. And so now having someone, our team basically, um, kind of give me the answers that I've been looking for um, makes me feel a little better. But again, I don't want to be on medicine forever. I don't want to have to take metformin every day for the rest of my life. You know, um, I know there's probably another way to kind of not reverse, but kind of like dormant the the symptoms, but mm. I don't I don't know what that is yet. Um, 
you know, I'm not going to try everything, but, you know, um, I've tried gluten-free, um, which I surprisingly like. I mean, gluten-free tacos are the bomb. Um, <laughs> and host food has been my best friend. Um, and I think finding different ways to be able to enjoy the things that I love and kind of making it a little more healthy has kind of made me feel like I've gotten the power back from diagnosis because when I got it, I, I felt so powerless. Like, I don't know how to take care of myself. Like, I don't know what this is. There's no cure. There's no shot. Like, I have this for the rest of my life and I can either make it worse or I can make it livable and a little better. Um, but not knowing how to do that because, you know, they tell you, okay, well, you can't have fruits and, or you can have certain fruits. You can't have this, you can't have that. And in a perfect world, it'd be great if I, you know, don't have oranges in my fridge or whatever, but we don't live in a perfect world. And if I want an orange, I'm going to eat orange, you know, um, but it's all about moderation. Um, so I feel better now than I did prior to 2021. Um, but every day is different. Um, I have days where it's really tough and I have to remind myself that these feelings, like my hormone imbalance causes me to feel certain ways and learning how to kind of not allow my moods to kind of like run my day, but kind of, you know, journaling has helped. Um, talking to my therapist about it has helped even talking to my wife and having frank conversations about, you know, this is my diagnosis. This is how it is affecting me. And if it affects you any type of way, let's have a conversation about it. Let's find a happy medium. Um, and even in the kitchen, making meals that are the best for me, um, that she also likes kind of helps as well. Um, in the beginning, it felt kind of like, uh, I didn't really have, we weren't on the same page. I didn't feel like I had my partner because again, she didn't understand it. Um, she didn't understand what the diagnosis was. Um, and it was hard to communicate what I needed because I still don't know what I need. Um, it, it's hard. And I don't think anyone has the answer. The doctors don't have the answers. Um, because even when I was looking for a doctor who specialized in PCOS, there are not a lot of doctors out there. Um, I luckily found one doctor um, at Duke and she's an endocrinologist and she specializes in PCOS, but it's very far and few between of doctors who actually specialize in this. And I think that will make a lot of people fear going to the doctor because oftentimes we get doctors who don't specialize in it. They've probably heard about it and say, okay, well, this is what it is. And this is what you need to do and lose the weight, eat right. And it'll be okay. But that's not the answer. I mean, it goes beyond that. What words of encouragement or advice would you give to people who have PCOS? I would say feel your feelings um, and find your find your tribe, find people who, it also helps to find people who actually do have PCOS because I found that like my best friend who, I mean, she's a weightlifter, she plays sports, like very skinny, she has PCOS. 
her symptoms are different than mine. Um, but being able to talk to her about it and have that person who understands your frustration, who may understand what you're going through helps. Um, and extending yourself some grace, um, that has helped me. Um, I like to always think that I have my stuff together. That is not the case. Um, I'm oftentimes hard on myself, but throughout this whole ordeal, I've learned that being kind of easy on myself, um, giving myself affirmations. Um, I tell myself every morning that, you know, I am worthy, I am adequate, and um, that's enough. Uh, I am enough, and it, it helps. Um, so I would say finding the affirmations that will the, pour into yourself to make you feel better. Um, don't think that someone else is going to make you feel better um, because this is, it can feel like a lonely, lonely road, um, especially if the ones around you have not experienced PCOS, but also do not understand PCOS. Um, I take the time to kind of educate my wife on it. Um, we read articles together. Um, we look at different like um, recipes and she goes with me to my doctor um, so that she can understand what the doctor is saying um, about PCOS. And it's a learning experience for her too. So being able to share in educating yourself and your significant other or the people in your family that support you um, also helps as well. Yeah, I did the last episode of the podcast that was talking about autoimmune diseases. And my guest Ben also said her advice was to feel your feelings. And I feel like I need to take that advice. I haven't cried yet since getting I got a week after I got diagnosed with PCOS I also got diagnosed with Sjogren syndrome which is an autoimmune disease and I've have felt pretty numb about both of them I have feelings about you know both of them being chronic diseases but I don't think I've really named the feelings and addressed them yet and I think the encouragement from other people who are going through the same thing to let it out is I'm getting there. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting closer. It will, it'll hit you when you least expect it. Um, I, I'm a cry baby. I've heard about everything. I'm very emotional. Um, and when I first found out, I think I cried more out of frustration, not because of the diagnosis. And the more I sat with it, the more I talked about it, the more, you know, I realized that okay, this is this is this is my life. This is this is what it is. Um, I don't think I actually cried about it until this year. Actually, um, prior to that, it was just frustrating. I was just angry, and like you just said, naming your your emotions. Like I've gone through phases where, and my wife laughs sometimes because I'll be like, I am angry. Like this is anger that I'm feeling right now. Or hanger, hangry is actually a very true emotion and mm -hmm. I feel it very hard. Um, and naming those feelings and pointing out what makes you feel that way or why you feel that way has kind of helped me. Um, and it's tough at first because I think the first feeling I felt was that I was inadequate and no one wants to feel that way. And that 
was a weight that I didn't know was as heavy as it was because in every aspect of my life, I was performing over and beyond. And this one aspect, I was just like, I'm inadequate. And that hit me to my core um, in a way that I just was not expecting. And once I was able to acknowledge that and name that feeling, the tears came and they did not stop for a while. Um, and there are days where, you know, I'm going, going throughout my day and I can feel, you know, things that, you know, um, I'm constantly always hot. Like I sweat at night and I wake up in the middle of the night and it could be like 70 degrees in our house and it's cold. And I'm just like, I can't cool down. And I get very frustrated and, and sad that I don't know how to regulate my hormones so that I can regulate other things that this is affecting. And there are days where I cry and I can't really name a feeling. I'm just crying because I'm just sad or I'm fed up or, you know, cause it's, it's exhausting, you know, to go to these doctor's appointment, get your blood drawn, have the ultrasounds, like, you know, sit down and talk about, you know, a treatment plan and the treatment plan doesn't work. So they have to come up with another treatment plan. It's a lot. Um, and it can, it carries a lot of weight. And I don't think I realized that to this year. Um, and so feeling my emotions has been real this year. And it's probably one of the best, worst things that, excuse me, has happened because I can't always, I don't want to always have to explain myself, you know, um, or I don't want to always have to Feel like I need to kind of like stifle my emotions because at the end of the day this is not going to change it's I can't I can't take it away and that's kind of the harsh truth and even after dealing with this since 2017 it's I don't think it'll ever get easy <sighs> well that sucks the not ever getting <laughs> <laughs> the not ever getting easy part. Yeah, <laughs> but it, and, yeah. and maybe maybe there's days and you know that it will it will feel easy, but you know, I think because I've been told for so long or we've been told so long that, you know, oh, just lose the weight, you know, eat the right foods and you'll be okay. That there's times where, you know, I'm like, I don't want to have to watch what I eat, you know, like, I don't want to have to second guess. Well, if I eat this piece of toast, like, am I going to pay for it? You know, like, I don't want to have to live in kind of like, I just want to live my best life. And, you know, like, if I want to have a mimosa and, you know, have whatever else, like a piece of chocolate, I want to be able to do that and not feel guilty. And I think because depending on what care you have, I feel like that plays a big part of it. Um, for so long, my doctor, my provider was just like, yeah, no, <laughs> you don't need to do this. You're doing it wrong. You need to do this and maybe even have weight loss surgery. And I'm like, no. You're not even big enough for weight loss surgery. You have to be like 400 pounds. But <laughs> anyway. But even if you had the weight loss surgery, that doesn't take away PCOS. So exactly. 
you know, the symptoms are always going to be there, you know, no matter if you're big, small, in between, black, white, you know, purple, it's always going to be there. So there's no easy fix, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling, especially being so young and exactly. feeling like, I mean, I'm not, it's not like I'm 50 and I got diagnosed with something I'll have the rest of my life. Like the rest of my life is probably going to be decades and decades and decades. And this will still be here. Um, and yeah. Well, on a more positive note, can you give us some book recommendations? You can give as many as you would like to. Okay. Where do I want to start? <laughs> uh, well, I'm currently reading this book. It's The Taking of Jake Livingston. And it's like a cross between Get Out and The Conjuring. So if you're into mm. like thriller, yeah, this just came out. And I'm like halfway through and I'm like, whoa. Um, but also I just finished... Um, Oh God, what is the name of that book? Um, oh my God, Ray Bear, and it's a YA fantasy. It is the best book I have read in so long. Like it actually portrays like black women in a way that just in books, sometimes I feel like misses the mark. I mean, they describe the braids and it was, it's just amazing. And after I read the book, I actually slept with it in my bed because it was just so good. I didn't want it to end. And have you read Children of Blood and Bone? No, but I've heard so many good things about it. I know, I know, I'm late. <laughs> oh my. I'm going to send you my copy of the book because it is just. That's a book I recommend if you like fantasy, if you like fighting and war and if you like romance like it gives you everything and it's just it's just amazing um if you want something a little more adult and kind of like do you like true crime yes oh my god okay. so my wife just read the book the babysitter which is a true crime book i actually have a copy i'm just gonna send you books okay okay great um, please i would <laughs> um, love that <laughs> That, she said that was a very good true crime book. All she reads is true crime. Um, she falls asleep with the ID channel and I'm just like, I, I can't. We live on the fourth <laughs> floor and I'm afraid someone's going to come in and take me. Um, <laughs> that was a good book. And also, What's Done in the Darkness, um, it's actually fiction, but it's there's cults and there's murder and it's, it's good. Um, so I could go on, but those are my recommendations right now. Um, but... Do you like Octavia Butler? I love Octavia Butler. <laughs> I love her. Like she is just her, Toni Morrison, James Baldwin. Yes. Oh my God. Oh, I can't. N.K. Jemison. Like I just, when I think about Black literature, it just makes me so happy. And I think it does not get the rep that it deserves. Like. I meet people and they're like, I'll take about this. I'm like, how do you not, how do you not, how do you not know? How do you not know? Exactly. I'm like, okay, everybody knows Toni Morrison. Most people know James Baldwin. 
but Octavia Butler is perfect. Like she's so good. She's literally a MacArthur genius fellow. Like she's so good. Her books. I mean, it's easy. I mean, maybe it's not easy, but like sci-fi on its own, if all you're talking about is the future is one thing, but being able to weave like racial and social issues into your science fiction story it's brilliant she's so good and she's so underrated oh my god she's brilliant like i'm just salty that i did not i don't live in a world where i met her like i just wish that i could just sit down and talk to her because she's just tell me about it all my favorites are dead except for um chimamanda adichie i'm obsessed with her too she's alive so i have a chance to meet her I just read a book by her. Oh it's six God. o'clock. Okay, Siri. <laughs> oh my gosh, what was that book I just read by her? Oh my gosh. What was it about? Um, Amer. Was it Amer? Americana. Yes. Oh. Oh, such a perfect book. Perfect book. I love oh, that story. No one has read that book. Go read that book. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, that was. It's so like six hundred pages, but it's worth it. It it doesn't even feel that long. Because it's such a page turner and oh, I love that book. Yes. Um, I before I started like reading, reading, like I I read specifically like thrillers and um yeah. But then I picked up Parable of the Sore and I was reading Octavia Butler's work, but not in like order. And I was like, what have I been doing? I <laughs> It changed my it changed my life, and I was like, okay. So then I ordered the rest of the books, and then I was at like Barnes and Noble, and I'm like, why don't y'all have like a black fiction section, like with all the greats? Like, why is it all over the place? Like, you need one section. Now they do have one section. Um, but then I picked up N.K. Jemison, and I was just like, now if you like, I'll tell you, but like you also like N.K. Jemison. I was like, I did not know that there was black people who wrote like fantasy and like sci-fi. And it's just opened up a whole new world and I can't turn back. And if you don't read like black fiction, even like black nonfiction, you need to get your life together because yeah, black book. Oh my God. You need to read black book. You like satire? Yeah. Black book. That's the name of it. Black book. It is like black walls. It, I'm gonna send that book to you too. I just it's <laughs> so good. Um, the audiobook is phenomenal too. Um, but it's about this black um this black guy. He was working at Starbucks, and then this um this white like Wall Street kid like came in and he like had already placed um his order before the guy told him what he wanted. And then the guy was like, Well, how do you know I want this? And he was like, Well, you're regular, you're always coming to the same thing. And then um he was like, um, okay, but what if I want something new? So then he tells him about this drink that he's going to make for him and why he picked the drink. And then the guy was like, well, you're good at what you do at selling. So why don't you come on your break to my office and I can show you what we do. Um, and so it was like this, um, this company that these two friends created and it's, there's like microaggressions in the book that make you so angry to be a black person because you know this happens in real life. But the story, the twist at the end, it was just for a debut novel, it was it was done. I, I <laughs> I'm gonna send it to you. 
because it it pissed me off, but then it was just so good. Like when books make you feel the emotions, like my wife will tell you right now, like I read a book and she'll come like, who are you talking to? I'm talking <laughs> to the book I'm so angry or I cry. It's just books like that just really, it just hits the soul. Yeah. They are my favorite thing in the world, books. I actually just um, picked up The Parable of the Sower and The Parable of the Talents. And I just started reading it last night. So I'm excited to get into it. And it's so weird because it was written in like the early 90s about like around this time period. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to read it now. She was, she could see the future. I'm pretty sure she saw COVID (laughs) happening and all this stuff. Like... It's just reading it now, though, like when we were in COVID lockdown and reading it, I was like, this is hitting too close to home. Like, what? But it's it's so good. It's so good. Oh, my gosh. Well, I will make a note of all the books when I listen back to this and put them in the show notes so that people can go find them. Um, how can where can people find you on social media? Um, My personal Instagram is at Jamillion Um. J-I-M-A-L-I-O-N-S-H-A-R-I. Um, if you want anything about books, though, um, I have a whole nother bookstagram. Um, and that's um, at it's a bookish world underscore. Um, and those are all the books that I've read, books I recommend. And it's a whole world over there. Um, I didn't know that bookstagram was a thing, but people go hard about their books. And it's like, it's a thing. So if you're yeah. into that, Sometimes I'm not like I I like a little bit of bookstagram, but then some people I'm like, you're not even making it fun anymore. <laughs> like I, I just want to enjoy the book and yes. people want to be like film critics. And I'm like, you've literally never written a book in your life. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> just enjoy the book for what it is. Yeah. But um, OK, last question. What is your dream for your life's work? My dream, this is such a good question. I just want people to feel good. Like when I am introduced to someone or if someone comes in my space, I just want them to leave and feel better than they did before they met met me. Um, I am a big clown. So laughter is the key to my heart and it makes everything better. Um, I just want people to know that they are worthy, they are loved, and they are enough. And I try to kind of make sure people know that when they are in my presence, um, because I don't think people hear it enough. Um, And that's it. I'm a very simple person. Um, This question put me on the spot and my neck is high. Like, I get But yeah, I just want people to to feel good. Um, We live in a world where there's a lot of a lot of things that are happening that are heavy to carry and people don't have to carry the load by themselves. And I try to always make myself kind of hold space for people um, within reason um, and kind of give them their flowers while they're here because we don't do enough of that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I really appreciate you for taking time to share your story and your experiences and your advice and your book recommendations um, here today. I really appreciate it. I'm still, every time I talk about PCOS on Instagram, I learn more people have it and more people are dealing with the same thing. And 
I mean, maybe it's like trauma bonds or something, but it is comforting to know like somebody else is going through this and I'm not the first one. I won't be the last one. Yeah, it definitely is. When I started posting about it and people started actually talking to me about it, I'm like, I'm not the only one. Like I knew I wasn't the only one, but it's not something that you hear people talk about a lot and especially not black women. Um, A lot of the pages that I've seen have been white women. Um, And we all know that healthcare for black individuals and white people are completely different. So I think that's a whole nother kind of like thing that you can tap into because representation matters. And the only reason why I started talking about my, my journey online is because I didn't see anybody else like me talking about it. And that kind of made me feel even though I saw thousands of other, you know, white men, white women going through the same thing, it's it's different, you know. Um, they have different access sometimes that, you know, other, you know, black women don't. Um, so that was important to me to be able to create that representation so that if people like me who look like me got the diagnosis, you know, they don't feel alone. Um, and it probably is trauma bonding, but in the in the <laughs> best way though, because going through something that makes you feel so isolated and alone, because not not a lot of women go through it. You know, um, I think I've only met in my life maybe one woman who's who's had it, um, and then I meet a lot of people who've never heard of it. I've met doctors who haven't heard of it. Um, so being able to kind of share with someone who is going through the same thing has gone through it and kind of knows what you're feeling um it makes it a little it makes the load a little lighter to carry you know um so yeah i mean when i was looking for someone to talk about pcos with i wanted to talk to a black woman and when you search PCOS on Instagram, it's all white women's pages. And I'm like, is this really what the people with PCOS look like? I feel like it is not this white in real life. Um, so I'm so appreciative of you for sharing it, posting about it, um, and so that I could find you and we could talk. And I hope that it's encouraging to other people who are listening who maybe don't feel comfortable sharing, even if you don't want to talk about your journey publicly, it's still nice to see other people who are dealing with the same thing and who you can relate to. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> I told my wife, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be on a podcast. She was like, what? What are you can be talking about? I said PCS. Basically, I felt like Beyonce and she couldn't tell me. <laughs> I had to go to Starbucks and get a drink. I was just like, pinky up, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, for having me because I mean it feels it was kind of therapeutic to be able to talk about it with someone who actually has it um and so this was nice yeah yeah me too I mean other people it's great to have someone who can be empathetic and will listen but someone who can speak back and kind of share in the same experience it, it has been very nice I appreciate it um so yeah everybody please Go follow Jamillion, support her, listen to the books or read the books she recommended. I'm a reader, not a listener, but however you consume books, it's valid. 
Um, <laughs> and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.